Spaniel Hall, we love the old town team. Take the green line to the sicko sign, we love the old town team. Oh, the this is the Old Town Podcast, our Red Sox podcast here at The Athletic. Please subscribe. You can get an episode delivered automatically whenever we publish them. Give, them a, give us a five-star rating as well um, if you like what you hear. I'm Tim McMaster along with The Athletic Sox beat writer Chad Jennings this week. A great show on tap. Tom Karen is going to join us. Of course, pregame, postgame at Nesson for the Red Sox. He's going to break down his top five kind of under-the-radar games in Red Sox history since he's been uh, covering the team, non-playoff games, no clinchers, no postseason games, regular season baseball, his favorite. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk briefly about Chris Sale, his situation now after having surgery. And of course, Major League Baseball um, contemplating lots of different ideas, one of which leaked out was playing baseball in Arizona as early as May, which doesn't seem likely. Um, Chad, but we have to start with out-of-the-park baseball. <laughs> because of, of the course. great success of yes. the Toronto Blue Jays Correct. in OOTP. Now, just to explain this to people, uh, you may have seen it on The Athletic, but um, we are simulating the 2020 baseball season um, at The Athletic with, it's basically a mix of beat writers and um, some of our fantasy team and a few of our uh, producers on the audio side as well, um, myself included in that. Um, 30 people taking control of the major league teams. Chad, you're running the Red Sox, um, as you should be. Um, and therefore, I was given the Toronto Blue Jays. So we have a little bit of a rivalry going. We just got this season started this week. We're now two simulations in, which is basically two weeks of the season. But the Toronto Blue Jays get off to a 6-1 and one start. They're 8-4 and four now in first place. Chad, take three of four from the Sox to kick things off, thanks to Randall Gritchick hitting four homers in the first week of the season. Um, I don't know if your Red Sox are going to be able to come back from this. Yeah, no, we're worried. We're thinking of, we're thinking <laughs> of firing the general manager and the manager. Um, both of those are me, and I'm not doing a very good job with the team. I, I actually kind of – some guys have taken it and, and really tried to, like, blow up their teams and – and they've made some huge trades to start the year. I've, I've tried to, in the beginning at least, more or less stick with you know, the reality of what the team was going to be coming into the year. Uh, the only big move I've made in this simulation is uh, Arizona offered, uh, asked if, there, if I would be willing to trade them Rusni Castillo. And I said, okay. Uh, so <laughs> so I, The Red Sox have been waiting yeah. so many years for that request. So I, so I got a, a, a minor league second baseman for Rusni Castillo, but that's so far is my only big move. And I am uh, trying Marcus Walden as just a regular starting pitcher instead of an opener. And we're seeing how that goes. Dave Dombrowski and Heim Bloom are all, they're thinking, why can't somebody call us and ask <laughs> right. us if we'll yeah. trade Rusni yeah. Castillo? I made one trade. I wanted depth so I didn't have to start Nate Pearson in the rotation to start the year. So I traded for uh, Kyle Gibson, um, and I sent away um, some young players, not top, top prospects, but some young players. Otherwise, I'm I'm just letting the young team play in Toronto. And so far, sure. Vlad Jr. and Bo Bichette and all these guys have been raking. I feel like we're probably going to come down to earth at some point. But the highlight of that series with the Red Sox, and if you haven't done OOTP people out there, it is – it's a lot of fun um, because of the realities of it and the little the fun that the program has. Um, game two of that series between the Red Sox and Blue Jays, a cat jumped on the field, raced around Rogers Center. There's a quote from Anthony Alford, the outfielder for the Blue Jays, saying, I wasn't going to go near that thing. It looked pretty fast. I'm, I'm a dog person myself. <laughs> Just little crazy things yeah. like that go on. So that that's what helped spur the Blue Jays to three out of four from the Red Sox was the rally cat in Toronto. Well, see, I didn't know you could have a rally cat. I would have I would have gotten that on my team, but <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. But the the sim is is for real. So we'll keep updating you um, a little bit on the podcast from time to time. I think, but um, you'll see written stories on the Athletic um, as well as you said it. Some people are really taking this seriously and and trying to blow things up. I don't even know if we're doing more than one season. So I'm trying to kind of like walk that line of building for the future and and just letting it all hang out. Yeah. So. We'll see. All right, back to real baseball, which isn't being played, but we certainly hope it will be at some point. Um, I don't think it's going to be in May, but at least Major League Baseball is considering this. Playing in a bubble, basically, in Arizona. Chad, there's so many things that would have to happen and so many issues, 100-degree heat, um, keeping everybody separated. They're talking about players not being in the dugout but being six feet apart in the stands. Seems unlikely, but I guess it's good that baseball is at least – 
weighing every option. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what they have to do. They've got to look into everything. I, I can't, it's hard for me to imagine the Arizona plan, the, the at least the, this extreme version of it playing out. Um, for Like you said, the heat is going to be a, a massive factor. I mean, it's just so hot there in the summer. Um, so I think that would be difficult. And also, I mean, if you're really going to go forward with this, like, totally quarantine all the players in a hotel, I, I mean, that's hard to do, you know? I mean, there, I, you know, I have two young kids at home. If I were playing, there's just I just cannot imagine being able to do that, you know, to, to, to completely leave where you're not allowed to help out with your family, can't see your family for an indefinite period of time. I just think that's a really hard sell uh, for the Players Association. And, I mean, it might work for some, and, and, you know, maybe they go way outside the box and it's not even, you know, guys, so, can I mean, is it possible it could be, like, voluntary, whether you want to play, you know? So some guys do it. So I, I don't know. It just seems a, it, that's a big ask um, for me or of anyone to, to ask them to have to do that. And we haven't heard at all, and, and they probably haven't even gotten to this point, but as far as media coverage, obviously the games will be televised. There's no point in playing them if you're not getting, um, you know, the, the broadcast dollars and doing that to help the economy and all of that. Um, but what about you and Jen McCaffrey and all the beat writers? Are yeah. they are they going to allow you to somehow, you know, maybe you get to the ballpark and they check your temperature every day? Like there's so many things to consider, which I'm sure all these things are going through your head, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, trying to just even imagine different scenarios that, to at least mentally prepare for it. Um, I mean, my assumption, honestly, would be that we would not be there. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I have no reason to think that except to just look at it and say if you're really if you're quarantining players in the hotel and not letting them go anywhere but the ballpark why on earth would you let them then go sit in a room or stand with a bunch of writers i i just can't i mean i i would prefer it you know i mean i want to be able to do my job and, and do it well but I, I under these circumstances my assumption is that we probably would not be there um and as another writer said i think on the i think actually wrote it on the on the athletic that to to some extent, I, I almost assume that I will not speak to a baseball player in person until 2021. Um, I don't know if that's the case, but I, I kind of I feel like that's probably at least mentally I'm preparing myself for that being the most likely scenario. I wonder if there's a world where if they did this, even if it's not May, but if it's June or, or even if it's July and these teams are playing in their actual ballparks, but there's no fans and they still don't want media around. I wonder if the, the game ends and, you know, four or five players jump on a conference call with the beat writers. I mean, that, I yeah, guess they could do like that. that's possible. It just, that, that's such a hard way to get anything meaningful. Um, right. So that's not really what we do at the end. Right. Yeah. That sort of like really <laughs> ruins everything we're trying to do. But uh, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. You know, it, it's a, obviously it's, we're into pretty unprecedented territory here. So uh, I, I really don't know what to expect. Yeah, we're recording this on Friday, um, it'll be dropped in, and out on Monday. So even over this weekend, who knows, things could change sure. and and um, and things may be different than they are as we record this. All right, the other news from the Red Sox perspective before we get to um, TC, and we're going to ask Tom Karen about that as well, just because Nesson obviously will have um, to figure a lot of things out as far as covering a team if games are playing just in Arizona, or even if they're back at Fenway at some point, but different. Um, that's something that the broadcasts are going to have to figure out. So we'll definitely get TC's thoughts on that. But the other news for the Red Sox is Chris Sale having surgery. Um, they took a lot of F, put a lot of effort into making sure this was okay right now with obviously what the medical world is facing in this country. And, and everybody kind of talked about that and the positives of that. The immediate question when you think about a baseball player having surgery is how is he going to rehab it? But it sounds like, at least for the, the first couple months probably, Chad, that, that's not really going to be a factor just because there's so little rehab immediately. Right, yeah. Now, he's, I think he has months before there's any sort of real, you know, any sort of even mild throwing happening. So I, I don't think that's much of a factor right now. I mean, obviously things could change, but even when he kind of gets into more of a rehab mode, it's just going to be playing catch in an open field somewhere. I mean, he's not going to be on a mound and months and months so um so the, the rehab process i think doesn't change very much for sale it's just uh you know it's just a shame i mean i it, it I, I you know we always talk about when you cover a team you don't you're not cheering for them you're not rooting for them i'm not i'm not disappointed for sale because of uh you know like because i'm you know i'm like a 
like my heart bleeds for the Red Sox or something. But I hate seeing players get hurt. It's a, it, it really, yeah. it's, it stinks. It's a, it's a part of the game. I get that, but, but you always, I think, feel a little bit bad for these guys when, uh, when something like that happens, and when it is someone like Sale who, you know, just, I mean, he talks about this injury like it's as if it's something he's done wrong. You know, he he yeah. feels such a personal responsibility, and, um, you know, you just feel for him. It's a, you know, these injuries. Um, it's tough and it, it is a reality for him. I mean, we see now Tommy John is, is almost the norm now. I mean, you just assume it's going to happen at some point, but, uh, but it's still, it, it's not going to, it's not a fun process to go through. Um, obviously, you know, the parts you kind of hate to say, but it's the reality of it. If you're going to have Tommy John and miss a full season, this is probably the one to miss. Um, yeah, so, yeah. so there is some upside there and, and we talked about that on the podcast before, but, uh, yep. um, but it's still, you know, it's just not a certain thing. You know, we, you, the, the success rate of players coming back from Tommy John is really high, uh, but it's not a hundred percent. So there's still some work to be done ahead for uh, for sale to get back on the mound and, uh, and try to be, you know, the Chris sale that we all know. Yeah. And Jen wrote a story about kind of breaking down the history of guys, Chris sales age, having the surgery. And, and you can check that out on the athletic, Got a lot of information there about that success rate, but the fact that it's not a 100% success rate. I guess he's getting some tips from Nathan Avaldi, who's been through it all on, on how to stay focused. It just, because of what you said and the way he almost blames himself for this, which is crazy, but it gives you insight into kind of his personality. I feel like if anything, they're going to have to kind of pull him back a little bit in this rehab because he's going to just be a bulldog, I think, trying to come back as soon as possible. And you, you want him back as soon as possible, as long as he's healthy and ready to go. Yeah. And I wonder if too, if, uh, if having to rehab through a lost season, if maybe helps some of that, you know, if there, I would imagine that the itch to get going as soon as possible is maybe made a little worse when you're watching your friends play. Um, True. and if you're not, and if, you know, by the time he's really rehabbing, if he's coming off of a year like this one, um, where everything was kind of a mess, you know, maybe that does give the, the perspective or at least allow the perspective to come a little easier of, you know, the slow and steady wins the race kind of thing. We now welcome you inside the monster. All right. We want to welcome in now Tom Karen. Of course, you know him, the pregame, postgame, kind of does it all there at Nesson covering the Red Sox and TC. Uh, nice enough to join us here on the podcast. Thanks for coming along for the ride, uh, Tom. Thanks for having me on, guys. So the reason we wanted to have you on is because, well, first of all, we, we're we trying to get as good a guest as we can because there's no games to talk about. So we, we just want interesting content to kind of send out there to Red Sox fans as they try to get through, um, obviously, everything with the coronavirus. Um, so we wanted to talk to you about um, some of your favorite games from over the years covering the Red Sox. Um, but we had one caveat, and I, when I sent the request on, I said, no playoff games, just regular your favorite regular season game. So we're going to get into that. Um, but I guess the first question for you is, you know, how are you doing through all of this, um, being home most of the time and, and just dealing with this? Obviously, all of our lives are different right now. How are you holding up? Uh, we're doing well. And, and again, thanks. I, I was afraid your intro there was going somewhere different. You were saying you were trying to have the best guests on. I was expecting you to say they all said no. So joining us is Tom Karen. Uh, yeah, no, it's been, uh, it, it's, you know, it's been different. No doubt about it. And, uh, Chad, I don't know if you were still, were you at spring training still at the end? Yeah, I was when, down there the day it was all canceled. Yeah. And that, do you remember that day? It was that off day. And uh, Nate Evaldi threw and Workman threw mm-hmm. and a couple guys threw and we kind of all hung outside. And to me, that was just one of the strangest days I've ever experienced because baseball was in the process of announcing they were shutting it down. NBA had shut down the night before, uh, but there we were at the ballpark and, and games were still going on around Florida. It just happened to be an off day for the Red Sox. And uh, I mean, just the, the next 48 hours were, you know, just all of a sudden getting out of Florida and, and, and you know, again, and, and the way things have changed from that. I got back up that a couple of days later that Friday and Massachusetts was way more, uh, you know, in lockdown already than, than Florida was. The toilet paper was already gone off the shelves yeah. and, the, you know, stores were bad. It was just, wasn't it strange coming back here after being in that bubble for, for six weeks, Chad? Well, and it happened so fast, you know, we, yeah. I flew down there for that stretch that Sunday and, you know, it, it was happening and, you know, you knew that this, the, the coronavirus was out there 
And then it was like, as soon as the NBA shut down on Wednesday, every, it, it was just inevitable. I mean, you, you knew there was just no way baseball was going to be able to really go forward. You just didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. And so when they announced that it was going to, you know, we're canceling spring training and then, you know, postponing the first two weeks of the season. I remember I, I switched my flight, flew home that night and flew home really thinking that, okay, yeah, so we're, so we're kind of out of this for the next, you know, three to four weeks and then we'll start ramping up again. Um, and then within, I mean, it was by that weekend, it was like, oh no, this is going to go much longer than that. You know, it was just in a span of five, six days, it went from like, okay, yeah, this is, we're in a sort of some dicey territory here. I wonder what's going to happen to, oh, we're, nothing's going to happen for well over a month. Uh, just instantly happened that way. Yeah, even even what was going on in Nesson, like when I first came back for the next week, I went into the studio and, and hosted our news coverage nightly. And, and you know, we were sitting mm-hmm. 10 feet apart in different sides of the studio. And even that, you know, changed a week later when, when the governor announced the sort of stay-at-home initiative and uh, we all started learning what social distancing was. Nesson made the decision, no more live shows uh, for the next few weeks. So... Uh, you're right. I mean, that next week from from when, what was it, Thursday the 12th to, I guess, you know, Friday the 20th, mm-hmm. uh, I've never seen the way we live and and the rules by which we live under change as quickly and, and as, as rapidly and as often as they did over those eight days. Yeah. And the, the good thing is that for the most part, I think in, in definitely in, in Massachusetts, in New York, where I live, um, people have have gone ahead and done it and there hasn't been too much pushback. And, and I think it's starting to have a, have an effect on all of this as we try to get through this. So major league baseball has, well, it's come out um, that they're, they're considering obviously a million different scenarios. Uh, but one of them is, Hey, let's have all the teams go to Arizona, um, put them up in hotels and be as careful as we can and start the season kind of in a bubble. Um, I mean, the, that's still a little ways away, and to me, it seems unlikely. But if that was to happen, how would that affect Nesson TC and, and just how games are covered? Because obviously, the league is going to want all of those games covered because the entire point of this is to get them on TV and and get some revenue streaming as well, along with getting these games played. Yeah, it's such a good question because I I, I don't know. Uh, and you're right; the whole reason to do that is to get these games on TV and. And I've changed, I don't know about you guys, I've changed my opinion on that, you know, three weeks ago, a month ago, when we first started thinking about the concept, because I think at first we thought spring training games would be empty stadium games before they just shut it down. And, and I was like, wow, that, I just don't, you know, I don't think you can do that now after, you know, I, I've watched the, the Lion King or whatever, the Tiger King, <laughs> and I've watched Ozark and I've watched, you know, all these depressing shows, by the way. Uh, but, <clears throat> you know, there's nothing else. I, I need something to watch. And I've been watching these old games and we'll dive into some old games in a minute. But I just think, you know, if you could get baseball back and I don't know what the date is, but if you can get it back by the end of the summer, if you can be playing baseball in July or August uh, and you'd probably be the only game in town, I think it would be great for the sport. Uh, It'd be, you know, baseball has kind of always been there, whether you want to go back to to World War II or 9-11 and how baseball has always sort of helped us get back to normalcy, the the luxury of sitting at a ballpark where all of a sudden you you maybe would appreciate a four-hour game because you've learned that time can can be your uh, friend and an enemy. Uh, For Nesson, you know, I don't know. Would we be in Arizona? Would we do it remotely? You know, we all have the technology now in television to have the producer and broadcasters in remote locations and you know, we're doing shows from our home next week. I start hosting a nightly show from my, my game room. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if they would have us in Arizona, if they would, you'd probably need pool feed cameras uh, so that, you know, the, the, if the Red Sox are playing the Yankees, both Yes Network in New York and, and Ness in here would probably use the same cameras, the same producer. You're trying to minimize the number of people there. So we talk about all the logistics that baseball has to deal with just to get this done to play games, you're opening up a whole other Pandora's box of logistics for television. Will there be a sideline reporter? Will he or she actually interview a player with one of these 10 foot boom mics that we see on news now? I I really don't know what it would look like on TV, but I will tell you this, everyone will watch because we're dying for something to watch right now. 
Yeah, the ratings will be unbelievable um, for for real sports because I feel like people have actually been tuning in to uh, to the the games from years gone by. Um, I know when when MLB streamed um, obviously Game Four of the O four ALCS a couple of weeks ago, and you can just go tell by going on Twitter how many people are watching because you're getting all these random comments as if these games are, are happening now, and it, it is kind of fun to watch that. But man, real baseball, real live now baseball would certainly be fun. All right, that brings us to. Um, I guess we'll call it your top five under the radar, maybe games. They're not all under the radar. These are games that I think people remember, but they're not playoff games. They're regular season games um, that that have stood out for different reasons. So I want to go through one at a time. We have a little um, audio hit for each of these as well. So um, we'll kind of do this in countdown format, TC. We're going to start uh, with your number five, which is September 5th, 2018. This is actually the most recent of your games, Red Sox 9, Braves 8, and the reason for that result was this moment. for it and holy cow <laughs> i love that call by the way you just <laughs> gotta hang on for the holy cow um obviously it's brandon phillips kind of one hit wonder as a member of the red sox tc but why does that game crack this top five well and, and I'll, I'll i'll preface the whole thing by by saying i added my own filters you know you put filters in you guys said no playoff games i also decided no clinching games that i oh, didn't good. want a playoff clinching game that they should be true regular season games okay and and i i had sort of come up with my top four pretty quickly and i really battled over the number five and i, I decided i needed a game from 2018 uh such a great season and and you know the, the best team uh, by record and and by wins in red sox history and and so i went back through that season uh and i really again i want to get into this game but it really came down to uh, the Mookie Betts 13-pitch Grand Slam night, uh, the time to party, uh, Eckersley call, and and this. But this game was just ridiculous because of the comeback. You know what I mean? They were It was about 100 degrees in Atlanta, an afternoon game, the final game of the uh, of the series, and they were going for the sweep. Uh, and, and they were down early, and they were struggling. And in the eighth inning, Atlanta had a 7-to-1 lead. I think uh, the win probability on, uh, on on baseball reference was 1% for the Red Sox uh, going into the eighth inning. And and they started that eighth inning with, with four consecutive hits, came all the way back with six runs in the eighth inning and tied the game, only to give up a home run again uh, as, as the Red Sox trailed again uh, going into the ninth. And then Brandon Phillips, who was playing in his first game, he was a guy – you know, with, I think, a 1,000 runs and almost a 1,000 RBIs. Had a nice career. He was brought on late, never really did anything with the Sox, uh, played nine games. But he had his one shining moment, as we say in March Madness, right? That was the uh, the walk-off homer in Atlanta. And I just thought that that, that win kind of really encapsulated what that team was all about. It would have been really easy for that team in the eighth inning, down seven to one, final game of a series, an afternoon getaway day on the road to pack it in and, and just move on with their lives. Uh, but instead, Alex Cora was throwing everything out there. 21 players appeared in the game for the Red Sox over the course of those nine innings with September call-ups. Uh, and they wind up getting the win with the, uh, the two-run shot of the ninth inning. So I thought that was just the perfect game to sort of uh, encapsulate what the 2018 team was all about. And isn't there something too, TC, about just great players doing great things? I mean, yeah. Brandon Phillips, We, by the time he came to the Red Sox in Boston, we were never going to see the greatness of, of what Phillips was in Cincinnati, right? He had that run when he was a really great player, not a Hall of Fame player or anything, but a very, very good player. And and that was never what this was going to be about, right? He just was a veteran guy kind of at the end. He'd been in the minor leagues all year. And it's just, I just always think it's really, I love seeing a great player have these huge moments, um, especially in a, in a moment like that where it's at the end and it probably doesn't have that many of those sort of highlight moments left, but it's just such a great chance to to celebrate a great player. And I mean, on that roster, 
frankly, Phillips was probably the third best career second baseman on the roster because they had Ian Kinsler and Dustin Pedroia on that team too. But uh, yeah. but it was just cool that he, he was only going to have this little, you know, one month in Boston. It was never going to be the best of Brandon Phillips. And there was just this, that moment. Yeah, it's it's like you say, you just don't, you can't forget that, the, the player that it was and in the moment, it's a, a throwaway game in a lot of ways, but, uh, but it will, it does stand out to me as well. One thing that um that I think of too with that game and the way it went down is it was September, so we knew what that team was at that point in 2018. And I remember watching this game and thinking after they won it, thinking, you know, most years when Freeman hits that home run, I just assume the game's over and they're going to lose because the team doesn't bounce back again to win a game. But in that game, I think there was a feeling that, oh, they could still win this. Yeah, and I also, you know, I think, and and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but you know the the Patriots and the do your job mentality. I, I thought the 2018 Red Sox were all about you know do your job. You know whether it was you know Eduardo Nunez or or you know in that in that game in the uh, in the eighth inning, uh, Zhu Wei Lin had a single uh, after Vasquez let off the inning, and 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 Swihart drove in two with a double. Uh, I just you know. They had great players. You know, there's no doubt about that. I mean, you just said it. Look at that talent at, at second base, uh, bringing in Kinsler at the end and and what he meant in the postseason, though, though he struggled and he wasn't himself. Uh, I think he was a really important veteran guy on that team. But just a lot of guys, you know, we saw it in the playoffs, obviously, whether it was a, a Mitch Moreland pinch hit opportunity, right, or Steve Pierce stepping up. I just, a lot of guys, it wasn't like the 2013 team where they really probably weren't as good talent-wise as the performance and the results showed. Uh, the 2018 team was that good. But you also had a lot of guys who were willing to accept their roles. You know, Brock Holt could have started on a lot of teams that year, but was I was so thrilled just to be a part of that team that he took whatever role they gave him. And I think that was really important. Brandon Phillips personified it that afternoon. Yeah, and they had they had the star power, but they still kept some of that 2013 sort of uh, workman-like attitude. It's like you said, they, they really did have, they had, they had the best of both worlds there, which is a big part of what made them so over-the-top good is that they were incredibly talented but still had, like, the guys who were willing to go dig the ditch, you know, like they, they had, they had some of that mentality as well. All right, let's move on to uh, number four on this list. And this one I feel like is the most under the radar one TC. And one reason I can say that is because I was looking for little audio clips from each of these games and I could not find the big hit from this game. I couldn't find it on the internet. Now, what part of that is because um, it's also the oldest one of these back in 2003 uh, before the curse was even broken and all of that. But but another September game, 2003, um, Labor Day or Labor Day makeup, uh, Red Sox beat the Phillies 13 to nine. A big day for Trot Nixon, grand slam in a six run ninth to win it. Yeah, and this was, again, it's a long time ago. I was actually the sideline reporter for the Red Sox. I wasn't hosting yet. I didn't start hosting until 2004. Uh, and I was the first. In fact, a couple people at MLB have told me that they believe I was the first regular sideline reporter for a, a regional sports network in baseball. Baseball didn't really have sideline reporters yeah. back then because uh, there was a game going on. There was no time to talk. But I never let the game get in the way of my stick. So I would uh, <laughs> just jump in and, and do my stuff. In fact, it's a funny story. The next day, uh, September 2nd, they played in Chicago and and beat um, uh, uh, who was on? I, I forget who was on the mound. Uh, Might have been Bartolo Colon. Anyway, they beat him two to one on two solo homers. And I think on each of the solo homers, I was chirping away with some nonsense in the crowd. So Don Orsillo <laughs> didn't even get to call the two home runs. But but the, the, the Labor Day, it was a makeup, like you said. They'd been rained out down in Philadelphia earlier in the season, and they actually had Monday Labor Day as a day off. And so I'll never forget this because I was traveling with the team. We actually flew, and, and teams never do this. Terry Francona still gave the team Sunday night off wow. at home because they finished up a homestand. Monday morning, we flew to Philadelphia at the old vet. The game was at the vet, and they left the plane on the tarmac at the airport. We bust over to the, uh, the ballpark, played the game, bust back to the plane, and flew to Chicago, uh, which was so strange. And over the weekend, there had been a big controversy with Manny Ramirez, nothing unusual there. Uh, but Manny had not been able to play in the series over the weekend against the Yankees 
because he had, and it was a famous word at the time, pharyngitis, which is kind of like laryngitis, but apparently with a P and an H. Uh, and we never really understood what that was, but he was too sick to play. But there were multiple reports that he had been seen hanging out with Enrique Wilson of the Yankees at the bar at the Ritz, Carlton, where he lived. So the team was kind of upset that he was out, even though he was too sick to play. So Grady Little actually, and I said Terry Francona before, it was Grady Little was the manager. Grady Little uh, actually benched him that game, even though he never publicly said it. I was told later that he didn't play in that game. So in this huge comeback, uh, in the final innings, as the Red Sox were trailing and battling back, he never got in the game. Uh, and when they came down in the ninth inning, down by two runs, you know, Lou Merloni got an at-bat. Damian Jackson got an at-bat. You know, a lot of guys got an at-bat where you kept looking over at Manny on the bench, uh, and he never got in the game. And it was a really important galvanizing moment for this team because without Manny, everybody else got a chance. Uh, Trot Nixon ultimately had the grand slam in the ninth inning. Uh, Kevin Millar had drawn a walk before him to keep the inning going. And, uh, and it was just, I remember the flight to Chicago, the team was acting like it had just won. And that was, remember, that was the cowboy up team. And, and they ultimately won seven games with the Yankees. But that Labor Day win uh, was one of the wildest comebacks I'd ever seen. And, and Grady really kind of won the team over because he stuck with his guns, didn't play Manny and let everybody else do their job. Yeah, that's that's one that I think of the the games on this list, I think most people will remember all of the other ones except that one. And it is it's great. And that's great insight into to why it makes the list with the backstory of Manny and all of that. And it's good to see Trot Nixon on this list, too. <laughs> when I was kind of searching around for different moments and I was kind of Googling Trot Nixon Grand Slam one of the videos that came up was his return to Boston with Cleveland um, when he first came back to Fenway and it was sh a video shot from the crowd. And it was just amazing to see the, uh, the fans embracing him a, f a few years later, obviously after they had won the world series um, as he took his trip out to right field and started throwing it around. Just, just an all time fan favorite trot in Boston. Well, and that's one thing I don't have an appreciation for, you know, I didn't, I didn't come to Boston until 17. And so I, you know, I missed a lot of those. I missed the Trot Nixon era. And I, I don't think from afar I realized that Trot Nixon was as popular here as I've now come to understand and realize. Well, and that was, you know, the, the dirt dogs, as we called them then. Yeah. And he was the ultimate dirt dog. I used to joke that the, uh, and we don't joke about the CDC anymore, but I used to say the uh, Center for Disease Control wanted his hat because remember, he used to have pine tar all over it, his cap. Well, it was his lucky cap. He never changed it. It was the most disgusting uh, baseball cap I have ever witnessed by the end of the season. And, and that was just such a dirt dog win. But again, the whole, like you said, the backstory of flying that day, coming from behind, Manny not playing. Uh, they were trying to rally at that point to get the wild card spot, which they ultimately won. Uh, and then beat Oakland in the first round. And then won seven games with the Yankees. And that 2003 team. Uh, really, that September run into the playoffs was really, to me, the start line of 2004. Like, that was what set the stage. They added Schilling. They added Folk in the offseason. And that's what made them a team ready to break the curse. Yeah, they were a couple pieces short. They knew it, and they, they went out and got those and then, then won it the next year. All right, number three on the list um, is back to another championship season. That is 2007. May 13th, Red Sox 6, Orioles 5. And this one's kind of funny because Kevin Millar is a part of this game, but not for the Red Sox. Uh, here's an audio clip from that one. Lugo chops it right side. Millar's going to need help over his way. The play, no! Here comes another run. Red Sox win! Veritek in, Hitchke in. Boston comes all the way back. A six-run ninth. Six runs in the ninth TC on Mother's Day. And this is one that, that I think people do remember um, just because of the way, the, just the craziness of that ninth inning. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. You know, the championship seasons always seem to have one game. You know, it's like a no-hitter always has the one catch that you say that was the great play that kept the no-hitter going. Championship seasons, I think, always have sort of one game that make it, and, and, and we'll get to 4 in a little bit. I'm not sure Brandon Phillips was the guy in 18 because I don't know if that game if that uh, if that season had one game because they were so good and won so many games, uh, but that 2017, the Mother's Day miracle, as we instantly called it on the postgame show that day, uh, had to be the one. Uh, Jeremy Guthrie was dealing for the Orioles, eight and a third shutout innings. 
Uh, and I think you could quiz a thousand Red Sox fans today and maybe five of them would know who was manager of the Baltimore Orioles that day. Uh, but the uh, legendary Sam Perlazzo would come out and remove Jeremy Guthrie, who'd only thrown 91 pitches, had a five-run lead, was two outs away, there was a man on, and everything fell apart. Danny Baez came in and Ortiz hit a two-run double. He only lasted a couple of batters. Then he went to the closer, Chris Ray, who was having a really good season, but he was coming into a mess in the eighth. Uh, and 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 Uke and Veritek, Eucalyptus and Veritek, both had uh, big at-bats against them. And then ultimately with two outs, after Alex Cora grounded into the fielder's choice, they got Uke at home uh, to keep the one-run lead. Uh, Julio Lugo with that little grounder to Kevin Millar. And as much as I love Kevin Millar, there was always a little bit of an adventure if it wasn't an easy play. Uh, and, and he got the ball and he tried to flip it to, uh, to Ray, but Lugo beat it out and, and the place went bonkers. And it really was the moment I think a lot of people kind of stood up and took notice of that 017. TC, I, I knew who the manager of the team of the Orioles was only because when I looked up the box score of this game, I immediately looked, went to check who the manager was because I was like, why in the hell did he take Jeremy Guthrie out of this? Do, do you remember? Why did he? He was only at 90-something pitches. He basically yeah, got two outs in that inning. Well, I mean, one was an error, so he lost the up, but he was dealing. I, can't, I don't understand why Guthrie didn't finish that game. And and Guthrie didn't either. It was it was crazy, the postgame comments. Yeah, we don't always send a camera over to the uh, the other team. You know, mostly we get Red Sox reaction, but we sent one over just to get the reaction. And Guthrie was livid after <laughs> the game. Uh, and, and you know, Prolazo didn't last much longer. He was gone uh, about three weeks later, I think. Uh, and and they, that was really a, a mess down in Baltimore because, you know, they weren't that far removed from being a really good team, the Orioles. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I, I don't know. I don't know. You'd have to maybe you can get Sam Prolazo on the show uh, one of these days. <laughs> ask him because I have no idea. Yeah, that was the beginning of kind of a little dark area in Baltimore before they hired Buck Showalter, and then they got obviously right. good again, and now they're, they are what they are now. But um, yeah, that that is a good one. Um, all right, on to number two, and this is another one. Uh, it is funny how these kind of click in with great seasons, and this one is April 20th, 2013, and it's We'll start before the game, and then we'll get into the game, TC. But it was obviously um, that special moment when the Red Sox returned um, after the bombing and the marathon and, and really really put the city on their backs. And it all started with Big Poppy before the game. This is our fucking city. And nobody got a dictator for Stay strong. Thank you. And of course, it's hard to find that clip without a beep over it now, but uh, <laughs> but I did find it. But that kind of set the tone. We'll start there. I also have the the big moment from the game, but um, but that ballpark needed something, and it was just electric after Ortiz gave them exactly what they needed, which is what he did throughout his career. Yeah, and it kind of resonates with a lot of uh, what people are feeling right now. Uh, the way that uh, that day and. And you backtrack all the way month, the previous, you know, that was Saturday. So Monday prior to that was, was marathon Monday and the bombing occurred just after the game. Uh, it was uh, Mike Napoli, I think, right. Hit the walk-off uh, and the team was going to Cleveland. We were on the air with the post game show team left to Cleveland came back Thursday night as the schedule would have it. It was a three game series in Cleveland. Uh, Friday was supposed to open up the series against the Royals, but Friday ended up being the manhunt, the shelter in place order. First time I'd ever heard those words. Uh, and now we hear it, uh, across the nation, but, uh, they, they Saturday morning, um, we all run out to Fenway and I actually got to do the pregame show with Peter Gammons, who was with us at the time, uh, which was amazing. And we sat on the field to do the pregame show, uh, and for a number of reasons, one of which the manhunt, you remember where he was caught, was right in Watertown, right around Nesson. Like Nesson was the center of a lot of the manhunt, uh, the parking lot outside of Nesson, which was crazy. So uh, we did the show at the ballpark and it was a cloudy, rainy sort of morning. Uh, and the sun literally broke just before the ceremony. And, and I stood on the first base side because uh, we had just finished the show and we stood there in front of the dugout with a lot of first responders who they had on the field. 
And David Ortiz came out and said that, and we all looked at each other. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> and and uh, you know, and you remember the great uh, post note to that was during the game. Uh, the FCC chairman, who's a local guy, tweeted out that uh, we we you know that we we forgive David Ortiz for uh, <laughs> dropping the f bomb live on air because today we are all Boston strong, which was you know, the perfect uh, way to end that. And as usual, David Ortiz got it right. You know, that was absolutely pitch perfect. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is just how much did you all know going in of what was going to happen there? Did you know that Ortiz was going to speak or did you just know there was going to be some sort of pregame something? We knew there was a pregame something because, like I said, they had brought all these first responders and a lot of the men and women who'd been involved in the manhunt the night before, they brought them all in. Uh, to, to take part in the uh, pregame ceremony and, and to watch the game. They all get to watch the game free, which was a really cool gesture. Uh, and there was a lot of talk that someone might talk. And, and I've talked to people around it. And, and, you know, the decision that David would talk happened pretty late. Like, David wasn't sure what he would do, what he would say, how to handle it. And, and you know, as always, uh, in a void, David Ortiz is larger than life and fills the void. So... So he grabbed the mic and he walked out there and it was, it was a mic drop moment. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> it's, it's almost like it was better that he didn't have time to plan anything because he ended up getting what you got, which was just raw and it was from the heart. Um, it probably is still a big deal if they don't go out and win that game, but, but winning it made it that much more special and I think helped catapult that team into what it ended up becoming. And the big moment once the game started was this one from Daniel Nava. Nava hits it in the air to right field. Frank Gore going back. He's at the wall. Boston, this is for you. A 3-1 home run for Daniel Nava puts the Sox on top, 4-2. And Don nailed that one, too, with the Boston, this is for you. Yeah, I remember that was the only time, and I think they've done it since uh, on some ceremonies, but at that time, it was the only time they wore home uniforms that said Boston on the front yep. instead of Red Sox, right? So... Uh, and just prior to the uh, the Nava home run, uh, Johnny Gomes had hit a double and done the two-arm flex at second base, which wound up being the cover of Sports Illustrated. So, it, you know, that team, that 2013 team, was the perfect group of guys to help Boston through the bombing of the marathon. I really believe that. And, and, and Chad, you had mentioned it earlier that, you know, maybe it was not as blue-collar, you know, maybe the uh, – the 18 team wasn't as much of a blue collar group of guys as these, but these, these guys, you know, uh, uh, Napoli and Victorino and Gomes. I mean, they were better than journeymen, but they were guys who were brought in to sort of bridge the gap, right? The bridge years were all around us at that time. And, and they, but they all had better seasons than anyone expected. And that goes into the playoffs as well, obviously. Uh, but on that day, you know, all those moments, uh, Clay Buckles went eight innings and, and pitched great. And, and, and just everything kind of came together perfectly that day. And Nava hits the, uh, the three-run shot, or, or Silo gets it right with the uh, Boston, this is for you. And that was the first time that, uh, and we mentioned it earlier with what, what's going on right now, you know, that was the first time in that season that you had a feeling that the Red Sox could sort of help us get back on our feet. You know, you fast forward, I got – to be my family and I got to be on a duck boat in the parade that year, which was incredible. And, and the boat stopped at the starting line of the marathon or the finish line rather. And uh, they brought the trophy out with the Boston strong Jersey and, and put it down there. Gomes and Ortiz and Napoli, they were all out there and there wasn't a dry high in, uh, in Boston. That team to me. Uh, and if you talk, I talked to players from that team a lot and, and, and I've always told them that they did so much to lift Boston and, they look at it the other way. They think the bravery of what was happening in Boston is what allowed them to, to be an even better team than projected. Well, and, and it would have been, you know, obviously thoroughly unforgettable if Ortiz had delivered in that, it had been the one to hit that home run. But for that team, it's, it's sort of fitting that it was a guy like Daniel Nava, right? That's sort of a little bit of what defined that 13 group is, was these sort of, like you said, not journeyman guys, but just not the, it wasn't the star power. It was these, you know, the beards and the, you know, the guys, you know, just the, these guys who sort of rose above what everyone expected to deliver to that brought that championship. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's a team where, you know, the, you think of the four championships um, in this century 
And 2004, obviously, I think is is most people's number one just because the weight and all of that. But I feel like 2013 for a lot of people is kind of number two, even though it's probably the least talented team of the four teams that won championships just because of what it meant to that city. And I'm sure there's some people that probably even do rank it above that 2004 team if they were people that were really touched by what happened with with the marathon. It was a it was a special group for sure. All right, number one on your list, and this one does bring us to 2004. Uh, July 24th, 2004, the game was at Fenway Park, of course, against the Yankees. And sure, the Red Sox win the game, but the one moment that everybody remembers is this one. Alex Rodriguez is drilled, and he says something to Bronson Arroyo. And we know what he said. Here we go. Veritek and A-Rod going at it. And that was the moment, I think, TC, where, where even after losing in Game 7 in 2003 on the home run at Yankee Stadium, um, this was the game where I feel like this team took a step and said, the Yankees aren't pushing us around anymore, even though they lost the first three games of that ALCS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Game 4 was another moment. But, yeah, uh, you know, I totally agree. That was the you – know, forever the um, – the analogy had been to the Red Sox-Yankee rivalry was the hammer and the nail, right? The, the, the nail doesn't have a real rivalry with the hammer. It just gets hit over and over again. And I think Jason Veritek shoving the mitt in A-Rod's face was when the nail finally got up and took a swing at the hammer. Uh, and, and if you remember, Veritek had the great quote after the game saying, listen, we don't throw at 260 hitters, okay? <laughs> Which was just the perfect thing to say. Uh, and that day... Uh, was crazy from the start. You could hear it was Joe Buck. You, we didn't do the game. I was watching it at home. It was a Fox game at Fenway Park. Uh, and then, you know, we didn't think they were going to play the game. That's why I was home at the beginning because it was raining all afternoon. And if you remember, some of the Yankees had gotten dressed and were starting to leave the ballpark when they were told to come back that they were going to play the game. And it was the Red Sox players who actually petitioned management and ownership to play the game because they were so fired up to get that game that afternoon. And so they convinced everybody to, to wait a little longer. I want to say it's like an hour uh, or longer rain delay before they finally got the game going. And, and so we all got out to the ballpark and, and watched this game unfold. And the Yankees are up 9-4 to four pretty early. And, you know, yeah, why did you go through all the hassle of playing this game? And then, you know, then that happens. And, and you know, Arroyo and uh, – and Bronson Arroyo and A-Rod would have their run-in later in the playoffs as well, the little hamburger helper hand slap of the glove, if you remember. But uh, but in that moment, he hits A-Rod. A-Rod's upset. Veritek punches him. Everybody goes nuts. And then you that's the moment you remember. What you forget is Bill Miller hitting a two-run walk-off homer off Mariano Rivera in the ninth inning to cap off the huge comeback and win it 11-10. You know, Jim McCaffrey did a uh, an oral history of that game for yeah. us on the Athletic, and and that's one thing I think sometimes um, you you wonder if that uh, you know the the impact of these games and like you're saying that the when the nail finally hit the hammer, you you wonder sometimes how much of that is sort of the the narrative that just sort of gets built from the outside and and it comes to be accepted. But just reading you know what Jim wrote and knowing some about that team, that that was such a clearly a defining moment within the clubhouse as well. You know, that that's not strictly a, a work of media narrative that's been sort of just accepted over time. That is, it's a reality of that season that they, they took that moment as exactly like you said, we're, we're ready to punch back and it, and it came through quite literally and come through against Alex Rodriguez, which I'm sure was particularly satisfying. I'll, I'll give you a little, uh, a little personal aside to that. My son, uh, who is, so that was 2004. So he's probably seven or eight at the time. Uh, and it must've been the following summer used to go to the Jason Veritek baseball camp, which was held at Stonehill college. And, and at the end of the, uh, at the end of the camp, every player would go up and get their little diploma and shake uh, tech's hand. And, and my son came back with his hand in the air and, and with all these people around said, I just shook the hand that punched A-Rod. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's funny because Veritek has, has never been really proud of that moment. Like he doesn't autograph that picture if you ask him to. Uh, and I was just talking about him right before I left camp. I had sat down with him for a while to talk about some things. 
And uh, and he still does it. He sort of, you know, he goes, listen, it was just, it was the heat of the moment I did, but I, I you know, I don't, uh, it's not a moment I'm necessarily proud of. Uh, but I think it was no, uh, there's no doubt it, it was the galvanizing moment. You know, a week later, exactly one week later, they trade Nomar, uh, which was, you know, another stunning moment in that season. And, and they kind of muddle around for most of August before really catching fire. But, uh, you know, nine months earlier, right, Aaron Boone had hit the walk-off homer at Yankee Stadium. So uh, that rivalry had, had trended in the wrong direction. And I, I absolutely think that one galvanizing moment meant everything to the fans and ultimately everything to the team. You wonder what that moment of Bill Miller hitting that home run meant to him mentally going into his at-bat in game four when he ends up obviously getting the, the single to drive in David Roberts and to tie it. You wonder if he has the same confidence in October in the biggest moment of that season if he hadn't had that success back in July. And I know he was one guy who always saw Mo well. Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, he did, you know, and that was, you talk about peak Mariano Rivera, you know, you you weren't even thinking about uh, getting a hit off Rivera. You were just hoping he didn't shatter your bat because he seemed to just, you know, everybody's bat was blowing up on that cutter. Uh, and so you're right. You know, that was such a huge moment and such a, you know, it was about, had to be about 8.30 at night by the time he hit that home run, you know, for a game that was scheduled for like one o'clock. And uh, it, it was just such a, 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 a surreal day at Fenway. Uh, that it's a great point. He probably did have that in the back of his mind as a, a confidence builder. This has been a lot of fun, uh, TC. Thanks for kind of taking us down memory lane. And I think some of these stories, kind of behind the scenes stories, not everybody's heard either. So it's good insight into these fun games um, and, and great to have you on. Glad you're doing well. And, and hopefully we have you doing pre and post game shows very soon. <laughs> Uh, that sounds good to me. I know it sounds good to my wife. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think uh, I think we all agree that that would be a good thing. Thanks for having me on, guys. This was fun. And of Stay course, safe. thanks so much. Yeah, and of course, there are encore games going on on Nesson. Check those out as well. Um, the schedule is up on the website. Um, none of these games um, in the next week, but but some of these games will be featured as well as uh, Nesson continues to put these games on the air and give people uh, something to check out. And you have a podcast of your own, right, TC? Now with Jerry? Yeah, Jerry, Remy, and I have started a podcast, the TC and Remy podcast, because uh, the, the TC and Jerry podcast, because Tom and Jerry was already <laughs> taken, apparently. Uh, and we tackle big issues like why he shaved his mustache last week, uh, really diving deep into it. And we're also we're going to be starting a show. Uh, if all goes well, it's going to debut Monday. I don't want to uh, give it away, but uh, it, uh, Monday through Friday, it's going to debut. Um, every night I'll be doing a little bit of a talk show from my, uh, from my den, uh, called at home with PC, where we're going to have players and, and celebrities hopefully calling in and, and Skyping in and being on the show just to sort of catch up with people during all this and find out what they're up to. So trying to find some things to put on and those, that'll be a cool slot for me because it comes on, we're showing basically a Red Sox game every evening and then a Bruins game a little later at night. So I think the plan is my show will be on at 8 o'clock, kind of between the, the classic Bruins and, and classic Red Sox Awesome. Games. So uh, people definitely check that out. That's going to be fun. And I think people will appreciate uh, seeing your face, even if it's from your living room, uh, TC. Uh, thanks for coming on this show. Um, that's going to do it for this edition of the Old Town Podcast. You can save 40% off a subscription to The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash wickedpod. We'll be back with you again next Monday as well. Um, check us out on Twitter. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. Chad's at Chad Jennings 22. As always, we thank the Beantown Swing Orchestra for the music at the beginning and end of the show. We'll talk to you again next time. Thank you.